Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can walk in the power and dominion and authority and we don't need to live in fear. You say that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And so, Lord God, we thank you that whatever situations are going on around us, we know that we can trust in you and we can look to you to guide us and lead us and that we don't need to be fearful because we know that you are for us, and if you are for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? And Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you with greater clarity, that you would open our ears to hear your voice speaking to our hearts, and that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us today, and that you would download into us, and that you would encourage us, and that you would strengthen us, and that you would give us fresh understanding and revelation of your word. And, and even more importantly, your desire and your relationship with us. So, Father, we pray these things with great expectation. We're so excited for the blessings that you're pouring down upon us. We're so excited that we're here today and we're able to receive from you. And so we pray this prayer with great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to release the Warrior Youth and Children's Ministry to go back. And uh, I want to thank you all for joining us this morning. We're in this series, Characteristics of Jesus. And so today, I'll be talking about self-control. Uh, let's, let's look at Galatians 5, and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against these things. And so we've been talking about these different attributes of the fruit of the Spirit over the past number of weeks. If you've missed any of these sermons, I encourage you to go back and podcast those or watch those online. My first point this morning is self-control is one of the nine indicators of the fruit of the Spirit. And let's look at the definition of self-control. Now, I know you know what this is, but I think it's a good reminder. Uh, self-control, to exercise control... To exercise discipline, restraint, composure. I like this, coolness. <laughs> to exercise coolness over our own impulses, emotions, or desires. And self-control, I believe, is a culmination of all of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we've talked in the past about how there's a connection between some of the different attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. But I think to, to exercise self-control, it takes all of these things, love, peace, joy, uh, uh, gentleness, faithfulness, all of those kinds of things. The, the uh, self-control that God desires is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and us yielding to His presence and his work in our lives. So that's what the Lord is looking for, is that we can uh, walk in that level of self-control where we're allowing him, because as we read in Galatians 5, these are uh, the things that the Holy Spirit produces in us. It's not something that we uh, 
force or try to make happen within ourselves. It's something that the Holy Spirit is leading us to and guiding us to, that we can walk in the fullness of all the things that he's called us to. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, can an unbeliever have self-control? Yeah. Can an unbeliever have these different attributes of the fruit of the Spirit? You know, you think of a, a mother that loves her child. Yes, a mother really loves her child. But it does, does this type of love, does this type of self-control produce fruit of the Spirit? Because sometimes we can do things in a manipulative manner, right? Uh, but, but are we producing fruit? Is God producing fruit through our lives as we uh, yield to Him and allow Him to do the work in us that He wants to do? So my second point is the Lord desires to transform our life, our calling, and our relationships. So that, that's the goal, is that God is drawing us into a deeper relationship with Him, but also with one another. And so that's why we gather together. That's part of the value of the body of Christ, the local church, is that we come together because we're building those relationships. We have those relationships. So as I look across this room today, I think of the wonderful relationships that I have with all of you and how just what a blessing they are to me. And so that's a wonderful thing, but also that we have this relationship with the Lord. Proverbs 5, 21 through 23 says, For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. And so when we think about our life, we think about how there are many paths we make, uh, many decisions every day. And so the Lord is looking and he's seeing what path are we taking? Are we yielding to him? Are we considering his purpose, his plan, his will for our lives? Verse uh, uh, Proverbs 5.22 says, An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. And so we know that there are consequences to sin. There are always consequences to sin to stepping out of the boundaries that God says that we need to stay within. Now, we may not always see the consequences of those things immediately, but they will catch up with us. And an evil man is held captive by his own sins. And so sin is a captivating thing that keeps us bound up, and they are ropes that catch and hold him. I don't know if you've ever been lassoed, uh, but if somebody ropes you, they, they hold you, and they keep you from going where you want to go. But uh, Proverbs 5.23 says, For he will die. He can die spiritually. He could die physically from lack of self-control. For he will die for lack of self-control, and he will be lost because of his great foolishness. And so maybe we've gone through seasons in our lives where we've experienced that, or we've seen other people that have done foolish things or had a lack of self-control that has created um, situations or circumstances that have been very detrimental, maybe to their life, maybe to their family, maybe to their marriage, or whatever that may be. And so he will be lost because of his great foolishness. Now, you've seen people that are just stumbling around. They're lost. It could be that they're lost in life. It could be that they're lost in their salvation because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So it could be a number of different things, but there are consequences to sin uh, on many levels because if you think of just like divorce, 
if you have children or you know someone that's been divorced, it doesn't just impact that person. It impacts the marriage. It impacts the children, the grandchildren. It has a, a ripple effect. Um, so pro, let's look at Proverbs 16.32. Better to be patient than powerful. It's better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. So, uh, you know, the Proverbs is, is, is great to read, and, and there's a lot of insight in here, but it's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Spiritual growth and maturity is a continuing process that we talk about all the time. There should be a slide coming up, and... Bam, there we go. Spiritual growth and maturity is a continuing process where we are yielding to the Lord and He is working in our hearts and lives. But that requires us to yield to Him. And I think sometimes that requires self-control, that we are uh, allowing God to lead us. Because we all have our own things that we want to do and, and uh, sometimes the Lord is, is changing our plans if we will yield to him and if we will listen to him demonstrating self-control will often require going against our own desires <laughs> we had uh, we were driving down the the freeway yesterday and this car uh, pulled out and ran it ran me off the road and I exercised some self-control uh, <laughs> not as much as I probably would have liked to but uh, it's going to require something from us. It's going to require that we go against our own desires sometimes, and sometimes and many times against social norms. So, you know, the world will say, do this, and this is okay, but we need to look to the Lord, and we need to follow His desires. Self-control, exercising, restraint, um, composure over our impulses, emotions, and desires. That's what we're talking about, and that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants to bring health and healing and wholeness to our lives so that we're not reacting out of our natural impulses and, uh, and, and responding in a manner that is not um, in accordance with His purpose, His plan, His will, His desires for us. Yielding to the Lord's plans versus doing our own thing. And that's one of the things that I think the Lord is really trying to help us as we grow and mature. We begin to uh, follow after His uh, will and purpose for our lives. And sometimes that may look different than what we thought it's going to look like. Many times it will. And I found that it's usually better than the plans that I've come up with because God knows, God sees what's, what's coming down the our life and and he wants to help us avoid things i know there you know i'm sure that many of you have experienced this too where god has spoken to you not to do this or not to take that job or not to whatever and then you can look back and you can see how the wisdom of god protected you and sustained you and maybe even saved your life or your marriage, or your children, or something like that. And so yielding to the Lord's plans is, is the, one of the primary things that we need to do to exercise self-control because we don't have to try to figure everything out. Now, we do have to do some things, of course. We have to go to work during the week and those kinds of things. But we can be seeking Him, especially in all the decisions that are before us, the, the major decisions. And that will help us to stay on course 
And the Holy Spirit has come to help us. Jesus said, I go that the Holy Spirit may come and lead you and guide you into all truth. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be calling on him. We need to be asking him for guidance and direction and leading and help us to exercise self-control. And also walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those kinds of things. Because the Holy Spirit is looking to accomplish some things in our hearts and in our lives. But also through our hearts and through our lives. That we may demonstrate the love of Christ and the character of Christ that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. I want to talk about Paul for a few minutes. Paul was a Pharisee. He exercised self-control and, and great discipline, probably. Uh, he was very, very religious. Paul was um, probably very self-disciplined, especially in the laws of Moses, because as a Pharisee, they had to be intimately familiar with the law of Moses. And uh, it's possible that he um, had memorized many of the, of the books of the Bible, the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Paul was very familiar with the law. And he was trained by Gamaliel, who was one of the premier Pharisees, who was the, the top of the top. And, and Paul was like the cream of the crop. And so Paul was an expert in the law of Moses. He knew what the law said because they had studied these books of the Bible. They had studied the writings of Moses. And also, he had probably studied the, the writings of the Old Testament prophets and, and, uh, and scriptures there as well. So, he, Paul was uh, a very committed Pharisee. And <clears throat> what we see is that Pharisees were often lawful and rigid. And they, they had high expectations of everyone keeping to the law and adhering to the law. They even added to the Ten Commandments. They kept adding to the law. The problem was the Pharisees demonstrated double standards. They knew the law. They knew the law intimately, and they knew what they should do. They knew what everybody else should do. But they missed the intent in the heart of God. Uh, one of the Ten Commandments is that we know that we're not to work on the Sabbath, right? And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus had been teaching, but let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Uh, after he'd been, it talks about him teaching in chapter 11. He says, about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. Okay, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. He and his disciples were walking through the grain fields uh, some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. That's reasonable, right? Uh, but some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. I think this may have been a little extreme. They were harvesting, <laughs> uh, you know, breaking off a, a a head of, of grain is not really harvesting, in my opinion. But let's read on. Verse 3, 
Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures where David did, or what David did when he and his uh, companions were hungry? And so I love it when Jesus is asking a question many times to the Pharisees because he's like, haven't you heard? Haven't you read? Knowing fully well that they did have the understanding, but he's trying to get them to be reminded of something that he wants to emphasize to them. And he says in verse 4, He went to the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And you can go back and read this in 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'm not going to spend the time to go there today, but you can go back and read about that that encounter there uh, that Jesus had, or or that David had, rather, uh, with his companions. Um, 12.4, Matthew 12.4. He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law. So, you know, they're talking about the law, and he's saying, well, go back and read what David did. They had great uh, esteem for King David, and uh, so uh, Jesus was just reminding him of some of those things. So the Lord is gracious to us, and he allowed them to eat the bread because the Lord supported their need for food, over the law. And that's the thing that the Pharisees were missing is they had the law, but they were missing the heart behind the law. Let's look at Matthew twelve five, And haven't you read in the law of Moses that priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? So Jesus is trying to get them out of this box that they seem to be locked in all the time. And uh, they're... For, for me and, and for Noe and, and for Chantel, we work on Sundays, and so we take another day off. Normally, we're taking Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon off. And I know that's kind of what they did in, in, the, uh, in the Bible. And it's, that was the Sabbath. That was the Jewish Sabbath. And we're not doing it for that purpose, but because it seems to work out well that we can get everything done Monday through Friday, Sunday through Friday, and then take off Friday afternoon and uh, relax and then we take all day Saturday off and then Saturday night gives me an opportunity to prepare for Sunday morning and so that works out really well but Sunday is a work day for us and so we work on Sunday and 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 so that's what uh, Jesus is reminding them of as well then after he tells them these things he rebukes them for missing the heart of the of the law that they were missing the heart of God by their uh, rigid rules. So my first point again is self-control is one of the nine indicators of the fruit of the Spirit. And my second point is the Lord desires to transform our life and our calling and our relationships. Let's talk a little bit more about that. The Lord desires us to demonstrate self-control. Jesus is attempting to have the Pharisees understand the heart of the law. So we're talking about self-control. I think that Jesus exhibited tremendous self-control with the Pharisees because these were the people that were trained in the law. These were the the religious leaders. These were the people that were supposed to be leading the people into not just the law, but into relationship with the Lord. But yet, they were missing the heart of God. They were missing the primary things. Not only were they missing it, but they were 
creating so many problems. It was keeping other people from following after the Lord. That they were creating so many rules and regulations that we'll read about here in a minute that it was keeping others from this relationship. Have you known of people or have you ever been one of those persons that maybe have, have been uh, not a good example to lead people to Christ? Or maybe you've seen somebody like that, that, that they claim to be a Christian, but they could be so legalistic or, or ritualistic that it, it really drives people away. And I'm not saying we shouldn't keep the law. I'm not saying we shouldn't obey the, the commands and, and follow after the Lord. But I'm saying that Jesus is looking at our hearts. And many times, Jesus would eat with people that the Pharisees would condemn him for. Oh, you're eating with sinners and prostitutes. And Jesus was like, those are the people that need to be saved. Of course I'm going to interact with them. But the Pharisees had this whole mentality that, that they were higher than and that if you didn't follow them and their commands and do everything that they did, then you were not in accordance with God's purpose and plan. They were missing it. And I, I think the thing that I want to convey today is that we need to have the heart of God. And so we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. We need to have love. We need to be flowing with love. We need the Holy Spirit to, to uh, download into us and help us to really love other people. Not just say it, but to really do it. To really love one another. And that we could walk in the fullness of everything that Jesus came to give to us. So Jesus was trying to change the concept that the Pharisees had about work on the Sabbath. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 12, 9 through 14. Then Jesus went over to the synagogue, went over to their synagogue. And I, I thought this was interesting because the synagogue is supposed to be a place where people come and worship God and get taught and things like that, right? Well, what does Jesus refer to it as? Their synagogue. It's not his synagogue where God is, but he's saying he's going to a place that is their synagogue. I think that's really interesting, and I think that's really important that we can get a lot from that because it would indicate that God is not there. God is not present because wherever Jesus is, God is. Jesus is God, right? So he say he, he went to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. So in reading this, I'm wondering if that guy was a plant. I wonder if they knew that Jesus was coming and they said, hey, why don't you come to the synagogue today? And let's, let's have you sit right up front. Oh, why don't you sit here? Sit in my seat. Knowing that Jesus would come, I don't know. I'm just thinking that maybe that was a setup because they were always trying to trap Jesus. And so they're saying, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? These are supposed to be the religious leaders. These would be the people that you would think would want to see people get healed. 
right? I mean, if somebody came into our church and, we, and they needed some healing, we would pray for them. We would want to see them get healed. If you came to church and you needed some healing, wouldn't you want to be healed? <laughs> if it was the Pharisees that needed some healing, do you think that they would want to be healed? I would think so. But let's read on here in Matthew 12, 11. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. Because they would do those kinds of things. But yet they had this double standard, right? Where, well, we'll do this, but you can't do this. I mean, they even had laws like you couldn't even put a, a pin in your lapel because that would be considered work. I mean, it was ridiculous the level of legalism that they were imposing on people. I know I grew up uh, with a friend of mine, one of my best friends when I was growing up. <clears throat> he was a Seventh-day Adventist. And they believe, uh, they, many of them, I, I'm not sure if all of them do, but some of them believe that it, even if you would, or back then anyway, even if you turned on a light switch, that would be doing work. And so they would try to, to hold strictly to the, the laws and the Sabbath. And uh, uh, what I saw sometimes was some of those young people I grew up with, it was, it was too difficult for them. And I think that uh, even in the zeal and the desire for some of these people to try to keep the law, they were losing balance on what God has called us to do. Because that would be like today, uh, not making a sandwich, not feeling like you couldn't go to the refrigerator and make a sandwich because that would be work. And so the Pharisees had taken this way beyond what God had wanted them to really live and understand. Now he was setting some boundaries like he does for us, right? But he, doesn't, he didn't give us a law to bind us up. We have laws on the freeway that say when you're getting on the road, look and make sure you're not running someone off the road. But uh, we have laws that say the speed limit is 55 or whatever. And so they're there for our protection and to protect everyone else. But say if you have an emergency, you know, you have to get somebody to the hospital, you may exceed that. And hopefully if, if you get pulled over, you know, hopefully the, the police officer would understand and not give you a ticket, but say, let me escort you to the, to the hospital or whatever. And so the law is there to protect us. The law is there also to show us where the boundaries are so that we don't cross those. But like David and his companions, they were hungry. And, and it was okay with the Lord for them to eat grain, not to break the law of the Sabbath, but because God cares more about us than he does about the law. And that's the thing that the Pharisees were missing because they were missing the heart of God. So he tells them, if you had a sheep that, that fell into the well, wouldn't you pull it out? Of course you would. Verse 12, Matthew 12, 12. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. <laughs> I mean, what are they thinking? No, I should do bad on the Sabbath? So, verse 13. Then, the man, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. It, it's, it's hard to believe that these religious leaders were so lost 
that they had so missed the heart of God that Jesus had done something, healed somebody's hand, and because it didn't fit into their little mold or what they wanted, they were trying to kill him. The Pharisees would be seen as people with self-control, right? I mean, you would look at them and you'd say, hey, they keep all these laws and all these things. So they would be seen as people with self-discipline and self-control, I guess as long as it was in accordance with what they wanted. But the main thing is they were missing the heart of God. They were missing the love of God. So my third point is godly self-control should move us from our control to the Lord's control. From being in control and having, you know, what the things that we want to yielding to the Lord and allowing Him to do what He wants to do in our life. Let's go back to Paul. Once Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he began preaching and proclaiming Jesus was the Son of God. It's believed that Paul spent several years, maybe 10 years or more, with the disciples, getting trained up and equipped and spending time with them. But Paul, the point I want to make is that Paul was transformed. When he had this encounter with Jesus, it had to probably run counter to many things that had been instilled in him and that he had been taught. And so he had to rethink a lot of the things that he was doing and a lot of things that he had done because Paul had been responsible for beating and even killing some of the Christians, and now he was one. And, and so Paul has this encounter with Jesus. Now it's interesting because Paul had all this wisdom or knowledge, maybe that's a better word, all this knowledge about the law, which is not bad. I mean, it was scripture that he knew, but now he has this encounter and there's a, 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 a very definite shift in Paul's heart and in his life. Understanding, he comes to a place of understanding, wow, wait a minute. It's not all about the law. It's about this relationship. And so now he's going and he's proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And he, for the, the people that he was once criticizing and beating and, and causing all these bad things to happen to, now he becomes one of them. It's one thing to know the law. It's another to know and demonstrate the heart of the law. And that's really the difference between religion and relationship. And that's why I really don't like religion, because what I see is religion binds people up. We sang about it this morning. What? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And Jesus came to set us free that we could live this life of abundance. That we would not be trapped in law, but that we would be filled with love. And that we would go and live this thing out. So Paul was transformed um, when he encountered Jesus. But the other thing is, is that he yielded to the Lord. Because I know of people that have had an encounter with Jesus, but yet are not transformed. Why is that? Because they're not willing to yield to Him 
And maybe I'm talking to all of us today because are we yielding every area of our life to Him? Are we saying, God, I give this all to You? I'm willing to uh, not be in control, not being self-control, but allow You through the Holy Spirit to, con- to, to lead me and guide me and strengthen me. Do I have the right heart? Am I steeped in the things of law? Am I, am I so caught up in myself? Is it all about me? Or am I willing to yield to you? Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is a familiar scripture with many of us, I know. But this is Paul writing, and he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. He's saying, look, what, uh, look at what God has done for you. Look at, you have salvation. You have, uh, God is, is working in your life. And he's saying, let's live for God. Let's go out and live this thing out. Let's, let's give our bodies to God. Let's not be doing the things with our bodies that we used to do. And again, I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm talking about being transformed and yielding to him and allowing him to fix our broken lives. Or to bring us to greater maturity, like we talked about earlier. Spiritual maturity is a lifelong process. It's a process of God working in our hearts and lives. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. Talking about our bodies. This is truly the way to worship Him. So this is one way that we worship Him, is we demonstrate that we have this relationship with Jesus. And that we have yielded to Him. And when we look back in our life, we say, well, this was my life back then. These are the things that I used to do. And thank you, Jesus, I'm no longer like that. That I'm more like this. And I can look back in my life, and I can see the peaks and the valleys of my life. But I see where I've come. And I see where God is taking me. And I'm not trying to get there by my own volition or my, I'm trying to force something to happen. But I'm just yielding to Him and I'm letting Him orchestrate and lead and guide my life. Romans 12.2, one of my favorites. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, allow God, yield to God. I'll let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think and so we talk about knowing the word of god having it in here so that we can come into alignment with his will his purpose his plan because if we don't know the word of god we don't really know his heart but his word is very clear and so that's what we've been talking about over the past eight weeks is the characteristics of jesus that we want to demonstrate that we can't fully demonstrate without the Holy Spirit leading us and and pouring into us. And and our response is to yield to Him. Romans 12.2 continues, Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, coming into alignment with His purpose, His plan, His will. And so whenever you come here on Sunday morning, whenever you come to the Monday night class, the the Sunday night class, whatever classes you go to, we're going to be teaching the Word because the Word is the standard by which we should be living and it is the, the heart of God in print that should be impacting our lives. And our lives should be changing 
because of this transformation process that God is doing in our hearts. And so a few weeks ago, I had you pray this prayer that, Lord, help me to love others like you love them and you love me. And God honors that prayer when we pray that. And God can give us a supernatural love for others. And that's really the target. But that we would walk in peace, that we would walk in gentleness, that we could walk in the, in the things of the fruit of the Spirit. They're all connected together. And, and the culmination, I think, is, is that we are able to yield to Him and walk in self-control. That we're not doing the things that we once did. Because maybe you know people that have been addicted to uh, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever. Or maybe you have yourself. And you've realized that if you could fix yourself, you would have. But you knew that it took the Lord working in your heart and life. What had to happen? There had to be a transformation. There had to be a change. Or you would have stayed the same. And how many people have tried to fix their own lives? And it doesn't work. Listen, if, if we could fix our own lives, why would we need Jesus to come and die for our sins? Why would we need Him? Why would we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth if we had the ability to do this on our own? And so that's why Jesus came, to restore us into that relationship. And looking back at Paul, this encounter with Jesus, I think... The reason he spent so, many, so much time with the disciples is because he had to unlearn some things. He had to relearn some things. He had to reallocate some of the things that he learned from intellectual head knowledge to an application of heart knowledge which reflected the heart of God. Not living by the law, but living in love and not negating the law Please hear me. I'm not saying to negate the law, but I'm saying that love is more important than the law. And Jesus wants us to get that. And when Paul recognized this shift, when he had this shift, I think a light came on. And I think he began to see, probably in the law, how everything pointed to Jesus. I don't know how it could not have. I don't know how it was that the religious leaders could have studied the, the Old Testament and missed Jesus when He came. They were looking for Him. They were looking for the Messiah. And when the Messiah shows up, they missed it. Why? Because I think they were so rigid and so steeped in themselves that they didn't really want to see that Jesus was the Messiah because He broke down some of their walls. He wanted to break down some of their walls. He wanted them to get the heart of God and get out of this religious legalistic mode and really get the heart of God. So Paul was transformed, which changed his life, his calling, and his relationships. And so I believe that God has a calling on everyone's life. But if we're not connected to the source, if we're not connected to Him, we can go down a different path as we read in Proverbs earlier. The Lord is looking and He's seeing which paths we take. Are we taking the path that He has designed for us and that He desires us to walk in? Or are we going down that path to a certain point and say, you know what, God, I know you're, you want me to go this way, but I'm going this way. 
I'm going a different direction. And so God is wanting to do something powerful in our lives that will help us, but also as believers, if we say that we're believers in Christ, we should be about building the kingdom. We should be about sharing the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was transformed, which changed his life. It changed his calling. Because now Paul was given the task by God to write you know, two-thirds of the New Testament Bible. And he began to go and preach to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. The people that didn't know anything about the law of Moses. But yet, it's interesting, God chose him to be the one to go. But see, God had a purpose and plan. If Paul was willing to yield, because Paul had a lot of insight about the law, and now he had the heart of God, the love of God, so he could go to the Gentiles, and he had a really good baseline on how to under, understand and how to convey to these Gentiles, these non-Christians, uh, the, the whole scope of God. He had a really good understanding of that. And so God has given you insight. God has given you giftings. God has poured out His love into you. God has placed His heart in you. That you love Him and that you love other people. And so God wants to use our lives to go and touch and change other lives. But He has to get us to a place where we're willing to do what He's asked us to do. And yield to him. 2,000 years ago, many rejected Jesus. And even today, many still refuse to receive him and yield to him. There are some people even that, that claim to be Christian that will not yield to him. And what God wants to do, for whatever reason, and I'm not here to judge them, I'm just here to say there should be fruit in our lives that demonstrate that we are uh, committed to the Lord. God values people more than the law. God is for you. And there, there are people that I, I think don't get this. Like the Pharisees didn't get the heart of God and the love of God. I think there are people today, maybe watching online, that don't understand that God really does love you. <laughs> He's not looking to put you in prison. Jesus came with the key to unlock the door to let you out of prison. Get out. Walk out. Get free. Come into this relationship with Him. And so as I, as I look at my own life, and I'm sure in your life as well, there, there are pockets in your life where you need to be free or you need to let Jesus come in and fix something that's broken or extract something or backfill that with more of Him. And this is not about performing it's about yielding that we can walk in the fullness of everything that he called us to walk in. That we would have this wonderful, beautiful relationship with him. That we would have this wonderful, beautiful relationship with one another. And that people would see us and they'd say, I want what they have. I want what you have. Because I see someone that's authentic. I see someone that's transparent. I see someone that's honest. I see someone that's imperfect, but is able to receive God's grace and mercy and love and go on. I see someone that is truly seeking God, even in their in imperfections. That's what the world is looking for. And that's what the Lord is looking for, too. People that will yield, that will say, Here am I, God. 
Send me. Because it's not all about me. I'm your servant. You're my Lord. You're my master. I'm willing to go and love the people that are unlovely. I'm willing to go and do what you've asked me to do. My first point this morning is self-control is one of the nine indicators of the fruit of the Spirit. Second point is the Lord desires to transform our life, our calling, and our relationships. That all of our relationships be transformed because we are changed. Godly self-control should move us from our control to the Lord's control. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, or maybe you did at one point in time and you've walked away. If that's you, slip up your hand. Anybody here this morning? Anybody here? Maybe that's you watching online today. And if that's you, would you just repeat this prayer? Just say, Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I receive your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness today. And I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you that all that old stuff is gone. All my sins are washed away. And today is a new day. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. And I receive you today. And I thank you, Jesus. I want to pray one more prayer for for you that prayed that prayer. Lord God, I pray that your presence and your fire and your love would just consume them, overwhelm them, and that as they read your word, as they pray, that you would speak to their hearts, and that they would have a a fresh understanding of your word and your love, and that you would help them to live out this life that you've called us all to live, and that you would help them to have a a greater connection with you and that they would hear your small still voice that they would be able to differentiate the other voices the self-talk or other people or whatever and they would begin to clearly differentiate your holy spirit speaking to them and that you would develop them in that area and that they would just continue to grow spiritually and fulfill the purpose and plan that you have for their lives and lord we thank you for this day we thank you for the opportunity to be used by you. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, walk in accordance with your purpose, your plan, your will. And we thank you, most of all, for saving grace and your love for us. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message encouraged you. For more information about our church, please visit our website, lifefellowship.me. We invite you to join us again next week for another life-changing, uplifting message. And remember to live it!